special day today. Thanks for, for being here. But it is a day of celebration. Um, it is going to be a day that we honor the past and we celebrate a uh, new season for this church. Um, the legal name uh, has already happened through the IRS, and we've got that, that hurdle. Uh, but today, we just wanted to have a special launch day of the, uh, of the new name of the church. Um, from, you know, the Refuge Church, formerly Community Bible Church. Um, and so, as, as Jim was talking earlier, it's interesting in the Bible, um, there were times in Israel's history, one time when, the, you know, when they were taken captive, the temple was destroyed, they rebuilt the temple, and there, there was times when they would rededicate, they would, they would have almost kind of a new launch, a new season, and, and, and recommit themselves to the, the, what God would call them to. And they would look back and they would say, remember when God did this, and remember when God did that, and then they would say, here's what God is, is where he's taking us. And, and some of that we see um, in the Old Testament when they went from, um, you know, uh, Captivity in Egypt to the, the wilderness into the promised land where God had promised them, and they went into this new land um, amongst new people, and they established themselves with the promises of God. And they would have these times again where they would rededicate. And, uh, and I remember um, Josiah in the reign of Josiah the king, um, where he was a very God-filled and God-honoring king, and, and he brought. Everyone from the least to the greatest, just like uh, Jim was saying earlier. And they did a prayer of kind of rededicating the things to the Lord, saying, God, we remember when, and we are going into the future, but we don't want to go into the future just on our own. We want to go with you and what you're doing. Um, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, they came across the Jordan River, and Joshua, the Lord told Joshua to get these 12 stones, the memorial stones. There was something about remembering what God had done, but also launching them into a new season. They had not gone that way before. That's what it says in the book of Joshua, because we've never gone this way before, but they set up these 12 stones. And the 12 stones were to be memorial stones. And what those stones were to do were later on in future generations, that's when grandma and grandpa could be walking along the riverbanks and they would see those stones and the grandkids would go, Grandma, Grandpa, what, what, are, what, are, what are those stones that said, This is what God did. He brought us out of Egypt. He supernaturally set us free from bondage and slavery, and he brought us into this new place, and this is the work of God, and, and supernaturally, remember, he got part of the Red Sea, and then he, he kind of does it again at the Jordan River, where he parts the Jordan River, they go across, and they establish themselves, and all this stuff is a picture of the gospel, is that God has called us from death while he's called us from the bondage of sin, um, uh, uh, the slavery to sin, into new life in Jesus. And we get to celebrate what God has, is doing, what He has done, and what He will continue to do. Amen? That's what today is about. And so over this last week, I've been reading some of the details of how this church started. And I knew some, but I read some history um, actually um, written by the founding pastor, Pastor Hill Brenniston, who I got to meet um, at our 10-year anniversary in um, 2006, it was the 50th anniversary. What did I say? We're good? All right. Huh? You're going from the back. Am I good? Mike, is that what you're talking about? No. 50th. Ooh, 10 years. Thank you, Aaron. You guys are keeping it. This is going to be an interactive service if you guys want it to be. If you hear me mess up anything, don't put me all that out. No, you're wrong. Um, 
10, 10 years ago is what I was thinking. 10 years ago, there was the 50th anniversary um, of the church. It was uh, the church was started in 1956. Um, at that time, all of the pastors that had been at this church were alive. Um, and all of them were here except two, um, Pastor Pastor Pat, Pastor Rivers, Leggett, and me, Pastor Rivers, and what an amazing man of God, still filled with faith. He's now with the Lord. And, uh, and, and so I got here, it's a, it's, it's a document that he wrote about the history of the church. And I got to read through this and just see what God was doing. And I want to share a little bit about that because I think it's important to see what was going on back then and why we're here today. And, and, and the things that God was doing back then, I think, will encourage us today. I think we're going to see and that's a, a tie to the vision of where God is taking us. Now, you know, every church has times and seasons throughout the ebbs and flows, the different emphases, but the same ultimate vision of spreading the gospel of Jesus. And so I want to give you a little bit of history. In 1955, uh, Pastor Bill Bernison was in Wisconsin, and he felt like the Lord was calling him out this way. Montevideo wasn't on his screen quite yet, except the original seed I read planted in his heart was in 1942. He was sitting in Duluth across from a lady, actually, I think she did some evangelism out here. Um, her name was um, Helen Jackman or something. Jetna? Amen. Um, in 1942, she's sitting across from Pastor Albert, and she actually told him about, she I think there's a work in Montevideo, Minnesota. She listened, but it, but, but it, was, it was kind of removed from his mind and his heart at the time. But in 1955, he's in, in, in uh, Wisconsin. He comes to Rinville, um, and, and, and he is constantly interested in Rinville Gospel Tabernacle at the time. Um, after a few months, he was praying, he was walking around the church, and he felt like this wasn't it. The Rinville Church wasn't it. And so he didn't really know what to do with that, except that here around this area, there was a group of people. I think the core people was about 25 people. They were meeting together and praying together. We have one of the original people in here right now, Elsie Carlson. I want to say thank you. Yeah. Some of those, some of those other original people are, are still around. But Elsie uh, is with us today, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that crazy group in a minute. But he knew that uh, that, that Rimbo wasn't in. There was a group that began to get together and pray, and they were meeting at homes and they were praying. And some friends of, of, of the Brennisons, it was, um, and, and, and also you'll have to yell at me if I get any of these wrong, but I think that I, 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 I think I got it. But um, it was um, Arnold and Phyllis Johnson who were friends with the Brennisons that were in the Monterey area. They began to go over to Rindell and they would go to Sunday morning service because they knew the Brennisons. And uh, one week in particular, they took a young couple by the name of David for a landmark. Some of you guys might know them. They were a part of that original group too, um, and so they would go with uh, they would go with the Johnsons, and then in the meantime they're still praying. They're 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 praying here. There's a prayer meeting, a meeting in different homes, and they're going over there and listening to Pastor Brennan preach in Glendale. And it's, interestingly enough, David Landmark and, and Pastor Brennan says this that he was one of the he, he was the first one that that kind of planted the seed. And said, I think there's a work in Montevideo for you. 
And I just think it's interesting that David Lambert was the first one, and now my son-in-law is his grandson. So I think that's kind of cool. 61 years later. So as Pastor Brennison explains, he came here. They came to prayer meeting they, um, in the prayer group, that, and they were meeting in homes. And so he and his wife came. Um, he said, the first time he drove to Montevideo, he said, it's a dark, dreary little town, and I didn't like it very much. But God had something else, and he said, as they began to pray and as they began to meet, the Lord was stirring in his heart that they were supposed to come here. And so they had already kind of, they had four boys, they had already moved into Renville from, um, from, from Wisconsin, and now they were coming to Montevideo to plant a church. And so, interestingly enough, they started this church. It was um, it was downtown in the uh, um, what was that? Uh, I want to get that right. The church started the Legion downtown. So downtown Montevideo. So they started this church, and again, it was, they were prayer meeting. They were meeting in groups and prayer, and then they officially launched the church. It was the first Sunday of August in 1956. And it was the Legion downtown that cost them $5 to rent it. Man, I would love to have that rent nowadays, right? They would rent the building $5 a week, and they went to a, a funeral home and rented chairs for $5. And so Pastor Brinson wrote, he said, the first offering was $45. So five went to the, uh, the Legion, five went to go into the chairs, and he got 35 bucks. And so he came here in faith. He, they did. They offered a new church plant. They couldn't pay him. Um, he did all. He knew how to build, and so he was. Uh, he was a skilled carpenter. And uh, interestingly enough, he, he began to. He, he built a house. Basically, that they had to give him a loan. Said, you know, do you have any assets? And he said, well, um, these people can vouch for me. And David and Fernando had Mark vouch for him. And uh, there was some all these kind of things. They don't do business like that anymore. I wish they did, but. Uh, and so he built a house, and then and they met in the Legion for a year and a half. Then, interestingly enough, back there, um, in our fellowship hall and downstairs, in the downstairs part was the first sanctuary. I always thought it was that whole building, but actually, it was the basement. The basement is where they hadn't, so a year and a half at the Legion, then they bought the land over here, and they bought that in faith. He said, he writes, he said, we didn't know how we were going to pay for it, but God told us to buy the land. Isn't that crazy faith? I thought I was crazy for like changing pews and chairs. These people were doing crazy things. I mean, they were buying land, and so they bought the land. They had to get a special permission um, to do it because it was a residential area. And, uh, and so a year and a half, they were in that basement. And so if, you're, if you guys are familiar with the church, if you go down there, the kingdom talks in that room all the way on the left. That was like the staging area, you know, where the chairs go up to the fellowship hall now. Right there was the staging area. And they were there for one and a half years. And then one and a half years later, they built up. In faith, they built up again, and then what we see in the first hall was the original sanctuary right there. If you can kind of maybe hit that hit, hit the one stage light. Um, that was the picture of pretty, pretty, uh, pretty shortly after they built that top, and that's what it looked like. And uh, so you can kind of see that. You need some light to look at read. So. <laughs> yeah. And so they bought it in faith, they built it in faith. It was risk, crazy change, 
young couple is filled with vision and mission because the Lord had told them to plant a church here in Montevideo. And Pastor Brennan's been coming here not really having a paycheck at the time, just came in great faith. And so this is actually from Elsie's notes, but on August 5th, 1956, we had a first church in Sunday school, they had 49 people. February 16th of 1958 was the first Sunday in the new basement church, and then March 6th, 1960 was the first Sunday there. Straight from Elsie's diary back in the day. So I was from it, and we didn't dig in the diary Elsie's stuff. So the church began in radical obedience. And I want to I read to you the part of the founding pastor, Pastor Brennison. I want you to... I want you to hear a little bit of what was going on in his heart at the time as he shared this check himself. He said, that was how we started the church. In fact, I gave you a little history, and that, that was the history that I just gave you was taken from his notes here. That was how we started the church, and God blessed. He said, oh, we have problems, but who doesn't? That's a part of life. But you can't look at the problems. You have to look up to him. Look to him who's over the problem, and he will take care of the problems. And that'll preach right there. You can just stop right there. Every problem does not mean defeat, but they are means of victory. It may be a disguise with something good behind it, like a stepping stone to something better. Have you ever followed this? If you have the Lord with, with the Lord with you, that's the way it works. So I thank God that that was the very beginning. Never despise the small things. Because everything that is going to amount to anything starts that way. Even on a ladder, you start at the bottom. So many people want to start at the top. No, it doesn't work that way. You start one step at a time. One step at a time. I thank God for the 40 years ago. And it's at the time when he wrote this, it was the 40th, so it was 1996. It's hard to believe that 40 years have passed. He said, I'm going to read in my heart, my own heart, there have been difficulties. But, you know, let's not look at the difficulties. Let's look up to the one who established the world. If you know who I am, you can see that I'm not capable of doing this. Only God builds the church. All we can do is fill in what he tells us. We are like an errand boy that God tells. Not feel like that sometimes. Who just runs when he says go, we go. When he says do this, we do. He said build, we build. He said buy lots, we bought lots. Build the church, we built the church. But it's up to, up to God to fill it. It's up to the Lord to bring them in. And you know, we saw that continual growth. But it has been very slow. But it has been continual. Over the years, it has been good. Isn't that cool? It's a little excerpt from Pastor Brennison, again, who came in great faith. Crazy faith. There was lots of change. Um, and and when you say where God spoke, he said, there's this word like an errand boy. We do it. God said it, we do it. And so the, the church began in radical obedience, and then it, it continued in 1981 when they had Pastor Raymond Words here. They expanded out this way. What you see here, they expanded out where the poles are. That used to be, that was the, that was the wall. That was actually a phase two where they expanded wider with the first sanctuary again. So they, were, they had outgrown that, so they said in faith, let's blow out this way. So they came out this way, and here we are. And then, I think in 1989, I think they went wider. Again, more change, more vision. And then there was a dedication service when they came out here under Pastor Worsh. They dedicated the new facility on June 21st, 1981. I want you to listen to the heartbeat of the vision that, had, that, that was going on. This is the dedication 
written by Pastor Birch and, and, and the leaders of the church at the time. Listen to this, and I want to hear kind of in the heartbeat of what God has been speaking to us. He said, We dedicate this house of worship to the glory of God the Father, to the honor of the Son, Jesus Christ, to the praise of the Holy Spirit, the comfort who leads and guides us into truth. We devote it to the preaching of the gospel for the conversion of sinners and the building up of the Christian in the knowledge of spiritual truth so that we may walk perfectly before God and man. Here, may those under the bondage of sin find salvation and deliverance which Christ offers to all who will come to Him. May many hear the call to take the gospel to others in our land and to the regions beyond so that this gospel of the kingdom of God may be preached in all the world. May no discordant note of fright ever be heard within these walls. No one holy spirit of pride or worldliness find its entrance here. May multitudes be born again for that. When we have gone to our eternal home, now I want you to think about the four we're thinking here. When we have gone to our eternal home, others will take up the service until Jesus comes. Now, and then he quotes Technicolor 6, Now, O God, I beseech you, let your eyes be open, your ears attentive to the prayers offered into this house. Now arise, O Lord, and come into your resting place, you and the ark of your strength and power. Let your peace, O Lord of God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Do you hear the vision and mission and heart behind that? What God's doing now to the glory of God, to the saving of sinners, that people would know the good news and the gospel of Jesus, and then when we're done, that the next generation would carry it forward. We always have to be, yes, remember what God has done. Thank God for what He's doing, but also think about what He is going to be doing in the future. The church was going to be about the gospel. It would be a place for those who didn't know Jesus to find Him. So the vision and mission was the advancement of the gospel of the world that desperately needs Him. It sounded a lot like a place of refuge to me. And so I want to honor those who started this church, these radical young couples with a vision and a mission, stepped out in faith. They walked in faith. They obeyed God when He told them to do something. They embraced change and they stepped out to buy land, build a new place, expanded, expanded again. And so we take the torch of that vision and that mission and we move into a new season and a new place. And just for a moment, I want to honor the pastors who have been here um, at this church. It's not having a ton of pastors, like some pastors, uh, some churches have a lot of pastors, but this is not a close senior pastors. And Pastor, Pastor Harold Brennison was the founding pastor, and then after him was Pastor Edward Haspany. Um, what he brought to the table was uh, he started a radio program here in Monday because he wanted the gospel to begin to reach. He wanted to reach outside these walls into homes and people would hear the gospel. And after him, Pastor David Rivenus, who I met when we first moved to Monday, I met him. He was uh, actually um, an interim pastor at the time and uh, he's a great man of God. Um, now, Pastor Brennison, Pastor Ann Rivenus, are all with the Lord. Then Pastor Brennan actually came back for three years, and then after him, Pastor Raymond Wirtz, um, under Pastor Wirtz's um, pastorate, um, the church really grew and expanded, and uh, there were lots of people coming in. You might have heard back in that time, they were, they were doing big Easter musicals, and people were coming from all of the region. This place was packed, um, and they were reaching out the good news of Jesus. 
Then Pastor Jim LaBelle, who was also the youth pastor, Pastor Worship, Pastor Jim LaBelle, came in and began to pastor um, the church. Um, then after Pastor Jim LaBelle, Pastor Leland Paulson was in Italy for about a year. Some of you guys might remember Pastor Leland Paulson. Let me just take a minute. When I came here as a youth pastor, Pastor Leland Paulson was the interim. He kind of came in at a time. It was actually a very difficult time for this church. It was a very hard time for this church. Um, the church had gone through a lot of turmoil. And he came. We affectionately called Pastor Paulson the church with Peru. Because he came into a very volatile situation and he was able not to take sides to bring a lot of healing and restoration um, and, and just did a marvelous, marvelous work here. And then uh, during that time, they, they uh, called Pastor Tom Clarity, who I had the honor of working underneath um, for, for uh, almost six years. He was here for um, a little over ten years. Um, and so Pastor Tom was here. And uh, under Pastor Tom, they had a vision and mission with uh, one of our worship pastors, who is uh, Pastor Fred Blanc, and you guys might know him. Um, but the vision was that we did a house prayer for about 10 years. And for about 10 years, every week we were meeting in here and we were praying for our 50 mile region, praying um, for unity, praying for churches, praying for the lost, praying for lots of things, and, uh, and just praying for our region. And I believe again that there's times and seasons, I believe that what we're even seeing now is because of those prayers, weekly, those prayers. And sometimes it would be bigger groups, and sometimes it would be just a handful of us in here praying. And God was really working in that time. And then there was some associate pastor, Pastor Tom Ord, Jim Ord's brother, uh, Pastor Colin Price, who worked with kids. Um, some, of the, some of you guys, I don't know if you remember or not, but he, he, is, he did a uh, he did a BBS. His part was to recast kids, and so he did a BBS. I've seen pictures of this out in the parking lot where I went around with a safari, and they would drive kids around. I mean, this guy had a real heartbeat for, for children. Pastor Don Hoffenberg was here. So you guys know him. He's actually a Tangela Bible fan now. Pastor Les Nelson and Richard Baker were youth pastors under um, Pastor Jim LaBelle. And then um, Pastor Ira Plaskerson, who um, was, uh, he, he was kind of after that first year through the start of the church. He was a young man then, but he came as a pastoral care uh, pastor. And now I have the honor and privilege of, again, working with Pastor Bear and Pastor Perry. Um, just an awesome, awesome men of God and what God is doing now. And I also want to honor our leaders, the elders and our deacons who um, love Jesus and are wanting God's best for this church and pray diligently for this church. We have an amazing leadership team here, and I just wanted to honor them. And I also want to honor everybody that makes this church happen. We couldn't do it without you. That's why it's the body of Christ. It's not just about the leader. Jim said that earlier. It's not just about the leaders. Every person has a place, a purpose, a role. And so through the years, there's been volunteers, and even now, people that come week in and week out and serve, and you love Jesus, and you are advancing the kingdom. We couldn't do it without you. You're giving up your time, your talents, your finances to enable us to continue the vision and mission. And that brings us to now. What God has called us against in this time in history, this place, that He's given us a vision and mission just as He did then. And just as Pastor Brennan said he was an errand boy, welcome the new errand boy who wants to just do what God is telling us to do. And so He's calling us to radical obedience again, ultimately to advance the gospel. 
advance the gospel of Jesus to this region of people so desperately need Christ. And he's called us to get through the years that I've been here to make changes, and we've done those. Again, I think they're minor compared to some of the crazy things that people were doing back then. He's calling us from here to, to do it together, to accomplish it together, like he did that small group so many years ago. And so until he returns or we're gone, what we do is pass the torch to the next generation. Make the most of the time and the work that he's called us to now. So that leads us here today. Why the name change? Great question, glad you asked. Because people have that. That's the natural first question. It's a great question. I ran into a guy at the store that doesn't even go to our church the other day, and he said, so what's with the name change? I'm like, thanks for the opportunity for me to tell you that. Simply, the name change, what we wanted to do is reflect the vision and mission of the church. I think reflecting even what they were thinking back then, based on the reading that dedication of who we are, gives us identity of who we are, and it reflects our vision and our mission. You know, there's power in names. In biblical times, they didn't just name a child or name a place. They didn't just, you know, like, you know, there was a lot of thought and prayer. Even when we name our children, or, you know, there's thought and there's this purpose behind it. Well, that comes from the heart of God. And so there's power in names. And so this has been a prayerful discussion and process over the last three years. When we originally talked about this, this was a board meeting, and we didn't even, you know, we talked about it, and we said, you know, about why churches would change names, and it was more of a discussion than anything, and we just kind of put it on the, the you know, put it off to the side for a while, and why would we do that? But a name is your identity. It tells people who you are. Again, the significance of names in the Bible, people and places. You know, when, whenever you're reading the Old Testament, they would, they would say, you know, we're going to now dedicate this place and we're going to call it God is there. You know, when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, remember, and God and the angel said, no, don't, don't do it. He said, I called that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He provided the land. And isn't that interesting that it points to Christ that in our place of judgment, Jesus was provided a place to hold a job of God to buy Jesus for us. And so, it was significant because I'm going to call this place to hold a job of the Lord is the one who provides. And they would name things. When uh, Jacob was wrestling with God, remember that story before God called him um, and, and, and he was alone and he wrestled with God to the breaking of the day, and he gets up in the place that was called love that had a name before, but he said it had now be called Bethel, house of God. And so there was something about the name of God and, and what God was doing to reflect why they would call it what they would call it. And so in my prayer time, the way we landed on the refuge church in my prayer time, I'm going to tell a little bit of this story that I've told before. I was uh, at, the, at the time that um, in the one-year Bible, the Joshua 19 and 20, we just actually this past week read the same thing if you're tracking through the one-year Bible. And uh, I, was, I was praying about, Lord, about the name change. What would we call I want it to be, if we're going to do it, I want it to be, um, I want to be intentional, I want to be purposeful. And right through Joshua 19 20 is when they're, uh, they're allocating the land to all of the tribes of Israel. They're saying, okay, this tribe, you're going to get this land. And this tribe, you're going to get this land. And this tribe, you're going to get this. And there's something meaningful because they were coming into the promised land. And he said, you're going to redeem this area for my namesake. 
And there's something about when we are placed in a region, and we're in this region for such a time as this in history, not by accident that we're here in this region. And God is perfect, just like He did this. He said, in your, in your, your, the heartbeat is that you have redeemed this place for my namesake. I've placed you there as kingdom people. Now, we understand that our home is in heaven, and it's a temporary place, but while we're here, we make the most of what God is doing. And so, Joshua, you know, 18, 19, they're allocating land. And then you get to Joshua 20, and there's this kind of odd thing that you, if you read it, he said, but with the land, you're going to have a little city of refuge. And I had always read this, and I'm like, it's so interesting that it's in the Bible, and if it's in there, there's a reason why it's in there. And so this city of refuge next to the town would be a place that if somebody accidentally killed someone, if it was an accidental death, they could, that person could flee and they could go into that city of refuge so that their family members wouldn't out of anger and they would retaliate and kill them. And so they could go to this city of refuge, this place of safety, this place of justice, so they could, what they could do is they could flee their case also and say it was, it was an accident and, and there's a place of even where they could be made right, but it was a place of safety where no violence could be done to them. The doors were always open to the city of refuge. In other cities, we know that they would build walls around to keep enemies out of the cities of refuge. The doors were open for those that were fleeing, those who were looking for a place of hope and rest, a place where they could be made right. You see all of this? You see the gospel all over this? Interesting. Because it's there, and they allocate these lands as cities of refuge to be deemed people. But a refuge is a place of safety, it's a place of rest, it's a place of hope, it's a place of protection in times of trouble. Many years later, David and the prophets, they would understand this. They, they saw the bigger picture that this idea of a city of refuge points to God himself. They said, you know, everything that God did is on purpose, but it points to a greater, bigger thing. And so, in the Psalms and in the Prophets, they begin to say, God Himself is our refuge. This city is a symbol. It points to who God really is, that God Himself is our refuge. He's a rock of safety. He's our strength. It's because He's called refuge over and over. That God Himself is a place of safety. God Himself is a place of rest and hope and protection and salvation. And the idea is that the gospel says we are all guilty. And those were accidental deaths, but we are all guilty people. We have all sinned. And we fall short of God's glorious standard. And so what we do is we run to the person who is the refuge. He's the Savior. He's the only one that can make us right before God. And so God becomes our refuge. Jesus becomes our refuge, our hope, our salvation. So look at two of these scriptures. This is kind of our theme one. You see it on the back of our shirts, by the way. There'll be an opportunity for you to order a shirt you like. Talk about it in a minute. The psalmist says, I will stay of the Lord, and I will refuge from my fortress. God, you actually are in whom I put my trust. David writes Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. There's no other way we can find strength and refuge. A very present help and struggle. Psalm 71, 3, be, be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Isn't that beautiful? The relationship aspect of God. You have given commandment to say that you are my rock and my fortress and refuge. Proverbs 18, 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. That's what we come out here. The name of the Lord is a refuge. The righteous run into it and are safe. 
Isaiah 25, 4, you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy, and it's just a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. This is who God is. Jeremiah 16, 19, the prophet, calling to the people, O Lord, calling out to the Lord on behalf of the people, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress, because there were times of distress in his times, and he was trying to say, guys, let's run back to the Lord. Psalm 18, to the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield in the form of my salvation, my stronghold. Interestingly enough, in, in, the, in, in the book of Isaiah, there's a warning of putting our hope in the wrong thing. And you'll be familiar, some of you will be familiar with this passage from Isaiah 28. It says, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a pure foundation of somebody that's done. Old song. I lay in Zion. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a secure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken. Will never be in panic. I will make justice to everyone. Hail will sweep away your refuge. The lie and the water will overflow your hiding place. And so what Isaiah is saying, and again, at the time, in context, the children of Israel have been disobedient to God, running away from God. And Isaiah is saying, Jesus, he's pointing, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, God needs to be your, 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 your refuge. Your refuge, the place that you set up, it will be swept away. The false things, the things that we put our faith, the places that we put our, 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 you know, our, our lives is the false refuge if it's not Jesus. And then later on, Hebrews, Jesus is called the, the precious corner, the chief cornerstone. So Isaiah was talking about Jesus. David was pointing to Jesus. All the prophets that mentioned it were pointing to Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate refuge. So that's why we landed on this name, the Refuge Church. Obviously, for obvious reasons, that the place. It will be a place. It will be a safe place. It'll be a place of hope. It'll be a place of healing. It'll be a place of peace. It'll be a place where people can find Jesus Christ because the other part of the refuge church is about Him. He is our refuge. We ourselves, as a church, we want to run to Him every day. And then what we want to do is point people to Him, that He is what they are looking for. This region, this area needs to be And God has planted us here for such a time as this. He's called us to be a place of refuge, to point people to the refuge. There was a seed planted a long time ago on a man's heart in 1942. And then it came to fruition in 1956. And then through the years, there's been different pastors and different emphasis and different thoughts. And now we are here today because God spoke and people were obedient. And now we say, God, what are you telling us? How can we reach this land? How can we make the most of the season and the time that we're in? Because as he carries and we and our generation goes, there will be more people that will call this place their church. And whether it's in this building, this building, I don't know. But it will be this church. And we want to pass the torch on that this place would continue to be a place of refuge. Is what the world needs. Amen. I'm going to bring up all of our leaders and their wives if you guys are coming up and we're going to just have a prayer of dedication.
It's a good day. King Solomon dedicated the first built temple. He offered sacrifice to 22,000 heads of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. He was trying to figure out what Bruce could offer on him. It's cupcakes today, guys. Cupcakes. Solomon never probably had a cupcake. He probably never had a cupcake at all. There's a prayer that he prayed. I want to pray. Praise be to the Lord who has given us breath and our refuge. To his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave to us for the Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors, those who called him his church. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May you turn our hearts to Him, to walk in obedience to Him and keep His commandments, decrees and laws He has given our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord God day and night, that He might uphold the cause of His servant and the cause of His people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God, and there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by His decrees, and to obey His commands, as at this time. Amen. You'd have some parents helping us to it, but and if you're visiting, please bear with me. That's all right. I'd like you to stand, and if you have children that are five or younger, would you please stand with them? I want the people that are new here to some degree, visiting or otherwise, in and out or otherwise, would you please just stand up and let me call you down here? Would you please stand? Do you have a share that with them? Would you please stand up if you're somewhat new here in the last five years? If you have children that are five or younger, would you please have them stand too? I know for sure there are even more than this that we're going here. Our church is a transforming body that changes many years. And I want to say to you who are standing, parents who have older little ones, this is your church. This is your church. I think you know somebody mentioned something this morning. You know, through the culture of the hand or whatever it is you are that you matter in this church. Over the rock of the earth, and now you matter. Thank you, Jesus. I said it now. My wife and I were talking about Moses and Joshua and some of those things yesterday, and we had two of those times. God called Moses and he says, I'm not just going to do that. And the 
What a picture of redemption. What a picture of a refuge. These guys. Let's consider and pray for me. If I can't make it. Father, they have been a refuge to this church. They have been a refuge to so many people. So we surround them today. We just say we are a refuge for you guys today. We are a refuge for you for all that you've been through. A refuge for all God has called you to do. You've been faithful and obedient. And so we just, we just ask God that you call and the protection of you over them. Each one of them, the tailor that's right here, God, that you would have your way. And God, that you would move in a mighty way. And God, that you would have your way in your life, and it would trickle down to each one of us. It's an awesome time, Lord, to see you. And at every time in the church, we will be so grateful for them. We will not, we will not be a mess, we will be praying for them day after day after day.